0: you matter to god god loves you god cares for you god cares about the intimate details of your life and not only do people matter to god that you matter to us that as a church you matter you're very important to us
1: hello and welcome to you matter a spring hills podcast i'm josh Meyer. We're so grateful for you joining us today on our very first Going Deeper episode. Since this is our first episode, I wanted to let you know that our Going Deeper episode is exactly what it sounds like. Each Monday, we want to go deeper with the pastor that preached the previous weekend, giving you the opportunity to go theologically deeper and uncover gems of scriptural truth to enhance your spiritual formation journey. Additionally, Because you matter so much, we want you to come to know our leaders' hearts more intimately than ever before. As our church grows, we want you to feel loved and cared for. And a part of caring for someone is allowing our leaders' hearts to be seen so that you can feel intimately connected to them when they are loving, leading, and living like Christ. Today, I have with me on the show Pastor Tom. Pastor Tom, how's it going? Josh, it's going great. I'm
0: having a perfect Monday, and I'm happy to be here with you on this very first episode
1: of Going Deeper on the You Matter podcast. Awesome. All right. Well, before we go deeper, I'd love to know your thoughts on what You Matter means. So that phrase, You Matter, uh, is something that I hope um,
0: if someone comes to church here or watches us online, uh, they would get the sense um, from God, and it just kind of in their natural awareness that that we believe they matter that if god could say one thing to them god might say to them you matter you we the way we say it is simply like this you matter to god god loves you god cares for you god cares about the intimate details of your life and not
1: only do people matter to god that you matter to us that as a church you matter
0: you're very important to us
1: huh. that's some really awesome insight i'm so grateful that you could set the tone for us For these podcast episodes, I do think that it's really amazing the condition and the climate of our world today seems like we're all suffering from one primary calamity, and that's loneliness. Mm. And as technology increases and the digital divide increases, it seems like there's more and more of a need every day to go to extra lengths to convey to the world, and particularly our community and our church, how much they mean to us. And in order to do that, we just have to get creative and find new ways to create an intimate space where you can expose in a healthy way, your heart. And I think that that's what this is really all about. So I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I'd like to go deeper. And so in my going deeper, I want to let you know that I'm going to ask you two main types of questions. Obviously, we want to go deeper on the sermon. uh, And the, the idea is, is To kind of go after some questions that may be an opportunity, an invitation to get more theological understanding of what you preached about this past weekend. Sure, of course. Yeah. And then obviously, I'd I'd kind of like to maybe use that as a springboard for you to share maybe your personal experiences as well with the content. How is the scripture kind of coming alive in your life, speaking to you and your heart? How is it impacting you and your family? Um, And just your overall love for our church and our community. Sounds great, Josh. Let's jump into it. All right, let's do it. So this weekend, you mentioned rather emphatically the importance of having biblically balanced teaching in your life. Can you elaborate on that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would love to elaborate on that. So I think when I say the phrase biblically balanced teaching, especially I said, I know this weekend, uh, what the church needs right now is biblically balanced teaching on the Holy Spirit. I'm kind of talking about two things that would be, in my mind, unbalanced. Um, The first would be, basing your entire thought on a topic based on one verse or one half of one verse, that's not very balanced. You wanna balance what you're saying based on the, the the general consensus of all scripture or all New Testament verses on a specific topic. And so biblically balanced means not unbalanced based on one idea, one story, one half of one verse, but really balanced on the the breadth of teaching of the Bible. And then secondly, the second one, thing I mean when I say biblically balanced is I'm talking about the idea of context. Uh, we all know the danger of taking something out of context whether something that we say to somebody and they only grab one half of one sentence that we say that's out of context but also it's a massive problem in teaching in general and also teaching about the holy spirit to to really not teach a scripture in context, uh, but to pull it out and to really kind of use it for what we probably would think of as an unbalanced teaching on a specific topic. So, I, so it's really important to me that when uh, we teach, uh, it's balanced, that we're balancing it on the whole of scripture, what the Bible mm-hmm. consistently teaches throughout, number one. And then number two is that we're teaching things in context. You know, I find myself, Josh, occasionally uh, preaching and, and I, I'm using a single verse. Um, you know, I want to make sure that even if I'm teaching and it's I'm just using a single verse to make a point in a sermon, that I'm still using that verse in context. That's still um that's still it's balanced, a balanced biblical approach to what
1: we're teaching and then also how we're living our lives. Okay, so that's awesome. And I'm really grateful for that. So I'd like to ask a question that digs a little bit deeper. Sure. Okay, so we're talking about having a biblically balanced approach to preaching on a particular topic and This week, we dove in and we opened up a brand new sermon series on the Holy Spirit. It's titled, Empowered Life in the Spirit. Can you share a little bit about, um, well, I almost used a scholar term. I'm in seminary. I apologize for that. I almost used the word pericope. Um, But really what we'll talk about is the movement. So in the Bible, we see movements. We see themes present themselves. Sometimes they're localized to one area of the Bible. Sometimes they're localized Um, Not so much, and then they're just spread all throughout. Can you share a little bit about where you're going to be pulling some of the greater context of the Holy Spirit from over these next three sermons in the series? Well, actually,
0: um, this coming week, we're going to be focusing on Mother's Day, and we're not going to talk so much about the Holy Spirit, more about moms. Uh, But then after that, we're going to get into, you know, really want to lay the foundation for teaching on the Holy Spirit from what Jesus says to us, especially in um, John 13 through uh, 17. We see a lot of teaching about the Holy Spirit, what he's going to do in our lives, how he's going to come into our lives. And then I'm going to be spending a lot of time on the idea of indwelling, the idea that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And I think there's some things about that topic that we don't often think about that really should affect our daily lives. Knowing that the Holy Spirit lives in us, um, it, it means something for our lives. And we'll get into that in future sermons as well.
1: Oh, okay. So I'm very excited about that. We did have another question here, but I think I will hold off on that. Okay. Because that question is about how we live out the presence of the Spirit being in the church as a whole, and in our personal life. So I won't dig into that too much right now, since we may have more opportunity to go down to that road in some future episodes. Sure, absolutely. So what I do, though, I would love to ask you a question that um, actually came from a church member, and it's on the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So I wanted to, you you shared a little bit, little bit about that in your sermon today, and uh, this, I mean, yesterday, and I'd like to just kind of go with an overview of that. We live in a world where God has uh, granted human beings the dignity of causation, the dignity to make things happen. We get to make things happen just as God does. God's presence was fully with Adam and Eve offering prompting. In the sermon, you shared a really funny story about your wife, Tracy, simply mentioning the trash can was full. In this scenario, the example of the Holy Spirit, Tracy, simply made you present to a thing. Can you tell me more about the idea of the spirit prompting us versus directly speaking to us with extreme clarity and how this form of outreach could possibly be considered dignifying to us? So that's a pretty big question, Josh, with a whole
0: lot of concepts. Very uh, big. Episode in, one. I'm rolled, coming after you. Rolled in, <laughs> rolled in there. Um, I, I, I think you know when I tackle that idea of prompting, I was coming directly from the verse that the Spirit prompts us to cry out, Abba, Father. And as I was studying that and reading some commentaries, um, I, I just really had a, a general sense that this is really a good way to begin talking about what the Holy Spirit does. He prompts us. Um, and then I took the definition that we're prompting kind of in two directions. One, it it moves us to action. And secondly, it brings awareness to us. Um, I, I do think that when the Holy Spirit prompts us, um, it, it, it typically is... Um, accompanied by an experience of recognizing that god is speaking um a couple years ago josh i did a sermon series um about about hearing god's voice i think it was actually called hearing god's voice specifically was the title um and um as i was explaining how we sometimes discern god's leading in our life and the holy spirit prompting us and moving in us um i've had this phenomenon happen and it was super Um, It was just exciting and fun where, as I talked about God speaking to people, lots of people, maybe 25 to 125 people would come to me in a weekend and say, you know what, I know what you're talking about. God has spoken to me as well. And then I asked every one of them, stop, slow down. Tell me exactly when you experience God leading you by the Holy Spirit, what is it like for you? And almost to a single person, either I would stop them and ask them specifically or they would volunteer the information that they had first as God was leading them, um, they had the experience of, uh, of the Holy Spirit, of the peace of God just kind of washing over them, of just having a sudden sense that, wow, God, I feel in a moment God is here with me. And then following that, there was uh, some a, a message for them. It would be possibly what we sometimes describe as a, as a gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit, where a phrase comes into your mind and you're you're aware that that is, uh, it's not me, that's not coming from me, that's coming from God specifically. And so um, I identified something of a pattern that I felt that when people, especially in our church, in our context, would come to me and talk about feeling led by God, that they often experience some similar things. And I narrowed that down to pretty much three things. So number one, often for them, it was the awareness that yeah, God is speaking to me because I sense His presence, I sense His peace, I have this, and it's and I'm using a phrase here. I hope this phrase connects. Uh, wash over, almost like almost like um, it's you know God's Spirit just kind of washes over you, and then and then boom, it's gone. But you knew you knew you're present to the fact that God was speaking to you, and then for a lot of them, it was it was information coming to them in a form from God, where they understood God is speaking something to me. I mentioned one of those ways, which was like a, like a gentle whisper, like a little phrase that would come right in their mind. For some of them, it was like seeing a picture, you know, in their mind. It was a, a face of someone, you know what I mean, that they understood. I need to reach out to a friend or I've got to, got to think about, you know what I mean, someone that might be, um, struggling with something in some way. And so, when I think about prompting of the Holy Spirit, I often think it accompanies some of those things. There's the experience of God's presence, which often will feel like God's peace or a bit of God's joy or, or just um, that washing over of god's presence secondly it's it's some way that god communicates with you um in my experience now this is just something that I've observed, you know, over many years in ministry, um, there are certain people that experience God in different ways. It's it's some, God makes it somewhat unique for us how we sometimes experience what he's saying. Um, for some, it's like I mentioned, that gentle whisper. For others, it's it's a picture they might see in their mind. For some, uh, for many, in fact, it's hearing something from a verse of Scripture, from the Bible itself, or even from a popular hymn or a praise song comes in their mind at that right moment as they know God's speaking to them. And then the third thing is they, they feel prompted to action, that they, they want to call someone, reach out to someone, uh, really, really um, look for a way uh, to, to take action on what God has really called them to do. Um, I think... The question for us when it comes to that prompting the Holy Spirit is that what I mentioned in the sermon, which is how often should we expect that to happen? How often should I be expecting God to speak to me? And, and what I believe, and you can believe what you like about this, anybody out there, um, I believe the more often I expect God to speak to me, the more likely I am to position myself to hear his voice the more often I'm gonna take time to listen, the more often I'm gonna ask God direct questions. If I don't really expect God to speak to me today, for example, I'm not gonna listen. Um, now it's, not, it's possible that even if I'm not listening, God might still reach out and in some way kind of grab my attention um, or, or find a way to get through to me, but if I'm intentionally listening, if I'm building in time to listen, if I, if I have time, this is a radical thought, Josh, and for all podcast listeners, radical thought for you. Um, if you pray and learn to pause, after asking God a direct question, you may be very surprised at the way, the willingness God is to, to speak into your life, to, to direct you and guide you. It says in Romans 8, um, the children of God are led by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to think about that. That means all children of God, all of us who have accepted Christ, should have some general expectation that, that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us in a specific way. That's com- More of that coming later in this sermon series as well.
1: Awesome. That's amazing. So you've said a, quite a bit there. And if I'm processing this back and kind of feeding it right back to you, first, it sounds like prayer is a critical element and an opportunity for hearing God's voice and then being prompted by the Spirit. And in that way, we should probably not see our prayer life as going through the fast food lane at McDonald's. Right. It's not or just. Or Wendy's, Josh. Right. Or so, Wendy's. That's yeah, right. Yeah, Wendy's exactly. around here. Wendy's a little, close, a little closer to the church. Yeah, a little bit closer right. to the church. Yeah. But. It's not about what we're putting out there, but maybe creating space and margin in our life to allow God to speak and provide that prompting back into us. So it's interesting. You actually tapped on another thing, too, that I thought was very intriguing. So you were talking about, basically, if I don't think God's going to speak today, well, then perhaps he may not. And it's not because he's not trying to speak. It could be because we've made an agreement and we've literally shut the door.
0: So let, let me let me say it differently, Josh. Just the way that I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I come from the understanding that uh, God is always speaking. That there is a message that God very much wants to give to each person. Um, if you do not know Christ, what He is speaking to you is come, come, come to Christ, repent, um, and. Sometimes when we go to God with a question, we might ask God a question, um, and that's not really the answer He wants to give us. Um, if we're, um, let's say, you're, let's say you're openly living in a sinful way and you're having an affair, um, and you ask God what car to buy, you may find there's not an answer coming because what God wants to say to you is, "Hey, repent, <laughs> get your life straightened up, and go back. You know, go confess to your wife and and make your life make your life right." But I, I do believe God is speaking. Um, the question for us really is are we tuned to him? Think of a radio, think of an old fashioned radio and think about how you think. This is this again is Romans eight says, set your mind on the things of the spirit. So I would think of it like this, you tune the radio and, and you find that place where God is speaking. So a question for us might be, how do I tune myself to, to hear God's voice, to be connected with him in some way? I, I may not find it easy, even, even speaking personally, I may have a direct question for God that I keep asking him, and I'm just not getting the answer I want. But there are things that he's saying. And he may want to say say something to me different than the question that I'm asking. Um, and so I want to tune myself to God and be able to find a way to really listen to the prompting, to the leading, to the ways, you know that he's that he's speaking my life. Now you mentioned a word there agreement that you said. I think it's a I think it's a common thing that we might just agree. You know what? God doesn't speak. Um, some people theologically believe that. They believe God is no longer speaking. You won't find many people that believe that, but there are some that are out there, um, and they've made that agreement that, nope, God doesn't speak. Or some people might say, um, you know, God might speak to, to, some, to a pastor, you know, someone in Christian leadership. God might speak to someone uh, who's fasted, you know what I mean, or who's really listening, but God wouldn't speak to me. And that belief, they're going to find, is a barrier to hearing God's voice because they're not—they're not going to take the time to tune themselves to God's present, God's presence. To to you know, it says several times in the scripture, "Wait before the Lord; be patient, patiently wait; be still and wait." Th- that you know, I'm thinking specifically of Psalm thirty-seven seven, uh, which says that those very words: um, "Be still before the Lord and wait before Him." Um, that was critical in my journey of tuning myself to listen to the prompting of the Spirit was to be able to wait before God, just patiently wait before God. You're in prayer, you're in worship, and then you're letting God speak. You're just giving him time. You're giving him space. You might, you might even just uh, be quiet before God, l- hoping to hear what he might be saying to you in that moment. Does that make sense, what I'm
1: saying? That does make sense. Now, before we jump into some more questions here, and I would love to know more about your personal journey and how you experience the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but before we do that, I'd like to ask you, you you came across four real critical um, teaching points in experiencing the Holy Spirit in your sermon message. You spoke about submitting to God, coming near to God, and you used Hebrews as a reference with that. And then you talked about being direct with God in your communication, and then also setting your mind on God. Um, to some degree, obviously, I would love to kind of go underneath the... Um, the surface just a little bit more on submitting to god are there any particular key points that you would want to give if you were in a counseling session with somebody from our church what does it look like imagine that you know one of our church members is here it's just you and them sure. and you love them more than anything in the world and you would love to elaborate on these four points
0: well so, so the first one um when i mentioned that one about submitting to god um there's a real specific reason why i why i mentioned that so when i when i began actively following christ uh i was um, 25 years old. I was. I just stepped away from a doctoral program in in clinical psychology at the University of Louisville, and I was coming to follow Christ. And I noticed this thing I was talking about in the sermon this weekend, which is that there were times in my life when I experienced God's presence, God's peace, especially, and times when I did not experience God's peace or God's presence. And so I was kind of entering it with a uh, kind of the mind of a, of a scientist a bit. And so one of the things I talked about this is in like uh, you know 1996. It's a long time ago, um, but I began to think about um, how could I operationally define God's presence? Or another question would be um, how would, how could I record almost like a scientist looking at experiencing God? Like when do you pass the threshold where you're experiencing God or or you're not? And then how would you? more frequently experience God's presence. So I actually had a notebook, I had a journal that I kept, and I, and I kind of studied and noticed when I experienced God's presence and when I didn't. And one, the, the single most critical factor in me experiencing the peace of God and God's presence was my actively surrendering to God. It was, it was not me um, just simply, you know, telling God uh, that I loved him or telling God, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be following you. But when I literally said to God, God, I surrender all of my life to you, all of who I am. I want to honor you with my entire life. I, I submit to you, you are my Lord. Um, i I would experience when I said it, the peace of God. And I that was the number one most strongest correlated thing was surrendering to Christ, was me experiencing God's presence. And to me I took that as God's God's uh favor, God's way of saying, yes, this is your, this is your path into my presence, is your um surrendering to me. You know, John the Baptist has this incredibly amazing verse in, in John 330 where he says, um, I must become less, he must become more. And when I would agree with that in my heart and my mind. And I would say to God, God, I surrender. I want to be less, less of me, more of you coming through my life. Um, what I found was, yeah, that was a direct path to experiencing the presence of God. And so in the sermon, I was talking about that very question, how how, how might we live in such a way that we more frequently experience the presence of God? And that, that, so that was that point, which I think is biblically balanced, coming directly from scripture in James 4, 7, what uh, also came directly out of my life. I think it's a, I think it's a very biblically balanced Old Testament. New Testament we are to surrender to God we are his we belong to him we are at the moment of obedience any moment at all and we we believe that we think that we live that we live in a way that we're experiencing um, the presence of God you know in that in that way directly Um, the second point you know that I mentioned was about drawing near to God. Um, I think that is universally accepted by Bible scholars and seminary professors and pastors and, you know, Christian leaders all over the world that, that yeah, the, the way to experience God's presence is to seek him. Jesus says, Matthew, you know, in, in Matthew 6, um, seek, seek first the kingdom. You know, we, we are to be seeking God. And so when I had that the slide in the sermon where I, you know, I had James uh, 4, 8, come near to God and he'll come near to you. And then I had this two verses in Hebrews that you mentioned as well, draw near to God and come boldly. Before the throne, I, I was really thinking of all those ways that we, that we approach God, that we, it's through prayer, it's through fasting, it's through uh, silence and solitude, it's through scripture, most especially scripture uh, and worship. All these ways that we, we come near to God, um, we're really plowing the soil, we're making good soil um, that we might then have the spirit implant you know, ideas to us or ways to lead us or guide us you know, in that way as we're seeking God as a lifestyle, as a lifestyle of worship coming after God. You know, that verse in Romans 8 about setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, um, that's really important to me. I, I really do believe that how you think affects how you live. Um, you can also say how you think affects how you feel. Most definitely. We know that from, from uh, many, many, many scientific studies. Um, and so setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. I actually said, Josh, in the sermon, uh, I said it kind of comes down to a simple question. Was I oversimplifying that? Maybe. I don't know. But I said it comes down to a simple question. W- what do I want versus what does God want? So that for me, it doesn't mean you can't say what What do I want, or what's what's my agenda when you walk into a grocery store, for example? Um, you can say what am I buying, what's my list, but you want to also say in this moment, in this place, what does God want? How how might how might God speak to me? How might God use me? You know, in this moment, and that's setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. It's a it's a good exercise, I think, to ask yourself, you know, really, what what does what does God want? What is God doing? And and that's where I I really transition to some deeper things. And I'll tell you some, something I said and something I, I wanted to say, but I didn't find a way to get into the sermon. So I did fit in the sermon to talk about what's the Spirit doing. Uh, the Spirit is wants to heal unhealed wounds. And I felt that in the room when I, when I said that, when I, when I mentioned unhealed wounds, um, both at nine and 11, didn't mention it Saturday. So if you're, if you wa- if you were here on Saturday or watched Saturday service, I apologize. Um, that came in later. Um, but that's something that I felt, I felt like, um, really kind of touched on a nerve when I mentioned that unhealed wounds. I feel like, I think I said, I think I actually said it 80 to 90% of people probably have some unhealed wound from uh, from their mother or their father or or an abusive situation they've been in or, or a, a, a bad workplace or you know wherever it might have been there's there's some wounds there i believe the heart of god is for healing that he wants his people to be made whole um and so that for me was an important thing to to mention in the sermon that that came with Asking God directly, you know, asking, seeking, knocking, you know, looking at that, at those at those things as well. What I wanted to say in the sermon, but I didn't find a way to fit it in or find time, was that also what the Spirit is doing is the Spirit wants to, um, and this is the phrase I was going to use, eradicate fear from your life. And then I was going to say, um, the actually, the, the command most often repeated in the Bible is do not fear. More than any other command in the Bible is the command do not fear. Um, and I always wanted sort of to challenge the congregation with this idea of understanding, even in the scripture, about, uh, about being adopted. We are no longer slaves to fear. That, that's something that Paul says there and, and how, um, how fear can so encapsulate our lives. But God desires us to live in this way where anxiety and fear uh, are under control and that we really live with joy and peace um, that come from his Holy Spirit.
1: So that's a great segue cuz there is a question that I have for you and I'd sure. like to in this moment try to embody someone in our church or anyone who's just simply listening and is struggling. Sure. Um you spoke on the topic it was I think it was your third bullet point on setting your mind mm-hmm. yeah. on God and then you kind of went a little bit deeper on resisting the devil and its relationship to the mind and and, and and your thoughts. I remember a time in my life when I was struggling with a lot of battles personally, and I came across a book titled Battlefield of the Mind written by Joyce Meyer. And she said, or at least alluded to in the book that um, the initial resisting of the devil takes place at the doorway of your thoughts. And in that third sermon point, uh, you said how you think affects how you live. Now, my question to you is this is how do we or anyone who's struggling resist the devil when the negative thoughts have not been resisted at the level of the mind and then has subsequently traveled to the heart. Well how how do we begin the resisting s- stage of that because now you know you know obviously the initial resisting is in the effort to be present to the Holy Spirit. I mean, we, we've got wounding. All of humanity has wounding. We have degrees of hurts and pains. And because unfortunately we don't come into this deep spiritual relationship with Christ until we, you know, get a little bit further along, you know, I'm over 40 and some people, I know that we've got a, an amazing, uh, Grant Labudus, uh, that is like 18 years old and boy, oh boy, he's more mature than most people I've ever met in his spiritual journey. But for most of us, there are some things, there's some excavating we have to do. Um, So what does that look like with the resisting of the devil or, you know, getting after this whole concept of how you think affects the way you live and what things have the devil played in the role of that?
0: Yeah, so, so I I uh, I know Just Meyer can be kind of a controversial figure for some, um, yeah. but at the same time, I think what she says in the quote that you gave, you know, makes a lot of sense. It's, it's that, that the thoughts that you're thinking is the initial place for you where you resist the devil. Um, your question, though, is what happens when you've already accepted those thoughts, you believe those thoughts, and they've kind of gone into deep down into your heart. And so I think in this case, uh, it's, it's kind of a twofold process. One is really begin to understand who you are in Christ. And this comes back to that very phrase we began with today, which is you matter. Um, when people believe that they don't matter, um, I, you know, I think I mentioned this Josh, to you on a run that we were having recently. Um, there are a good number of people who believe there's something fundamentally wrong with themselves that they're at some level unlovable. That at some level there's a something, something wrong with them. Um, and that is a lie of the devil that that has gone from their thoughts into their heart. And so really what needs to happen for them in that case to set their mind on the things of the Spirit and to resist the devil is really begin to believe, you know, you really come back to this place of saying, okay, do I believe what the Bible says about me, that I'm a child of God, that I'm a co-heir with Christ, that I matter to God, that I'm important to him, then I can believe that there's this fundamental thing that I'm unlovable. If God loves me, I can't be unlovable. And so really, really it comes back to, to taking the truth of the Word of God empowered by the Spirit of God to directly confront the lies that are there. I do believe personally that can happen. You can do that by yourself. It's probably easier to do that with a, a mentor, a, a friend, a Christian counselor, you know what I mean, a pastor, someone that can help guide you in that process. But but that's a, um, a one of the direct ways to answer what you're talking about about when thoughts have become embedded in your heart about believing who you are. Um, and I, I think resisting the devil also um, you know, comes back to really thinking selfishly. If we think about resisting the devil in our mind, it's about thinking selfishly versus thinking the the things of God, the ways of God. Um, the more selfishly we consider life and really focus on ourselves, um, the more we're not resisting the devil. We're we're kind of inviting the devil in that in that case. But really setting our mind to the things of spirit is, is asking ourselves, what's, you know, what's God doing? How's God working at this time in this place and how can I join him in his work?
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that and giving me an opportunity to be a little bit more exposed in that way. Sure, absolutely. Um, so before we close out today, I do have one last question, and it is from another one of our members of our church. Sure. And it's regarding, actually, um, kind of in context to one of the worship songs that we sang. We, we sang the song, No Longer Slaves. Um, and this, this, this is basically straight out of Galatians. So, in Galatians, says that we are adopted, so we are no longer slaves, but God's own children. What does this mean to be no longer slaves, and how should it affect us?
0: So, right. So, when you're thinking about, there's actually a lot in that scripture that I read Sunday in Galatians four, four through seven, uh, about freedom and slavery. And then, and then the other thought is about being adopted and being a being a child of God, and so um, how should it affect us? I'll jump to that one. Um, it, it it's something that should affect the core of who you are to know you are acceptable to God, and this is something I was getting into in the sermon as well. To have that that deep place to know um, I am acceptable to God. I am I am not just. Uh, a slave or someone that is uh, on the out- outside of his household. I am directly in his household. Uh, I am you're also in that case a co-heir with Christ. Um, that means that what Jesus is said to inherit, we also inherit. We inherit eternal life from God and that it should have the effect on us. this is a concept I talk about occasionally, uh, called humble confidence. There should be a humble confidence that comes into your life, with the knowledge that you are a child of God. You know, I was actually reading in 2 Timothy recently where it says, uh, it said, be strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. And begin thinking about that. Grace we know means, it means the favor of God. That's what grace means, having God's favor. It also means having God's forgiveness. So if you think of your, about yourself as a child of God, as adopted in God's family, as you're no longer a slave, you're understanding I have the grace of God. I have his favor. Um, now you know I remember my earthly father, who I talk about a lot. Um, but I certainly knew when I had my dad's favor, and I certainly knew when I did not <laughs> have his favor. Uh, when I had my dad's favor, I could ask him for whatever I wanted. You know what I mean, pretty much, and he would be like, "Oh, sure, of course. Let's go. Let's go do that, or uh, let's get you that, or or whatever." Uh, having God's favor, sh- because we're His child, should mean to us that we have confidence. We have a humble confidence, not confidence rooted in our own ability a humble confidence rooted in God's ability. And that affects how we live. It directly affects how we see ourselves, who we are. And it should give us a confidence that whatever situation I walk into, I can know uh, God is with me, number one. Number two, I can call on him for help and support and comfort and guidance and even correction. Um, And I can be assured that whatever that outcome is, it's gonna be okay. It's really going to be okay because I have a heavenly father who is here, right here with me, I have his favor, I have his forgiveness, and I'm walking with him in this life.
1: Hmm. That is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before we close out today, I do have one question directly for you, for your heart. How is the Holy Spirit prompting you right now?
0: Well, um, lots of promptings from the Holy Spirit, you know, for me. Um, And when I think about the ways that the Spirit's prompting me, some things I think about even even in our county in Lincoln County you know to be um, you know brutally honest completely open you know there's some things I'm very concerned about happening right here right here in our in our own environment um, we know in Lincoln County um, addiction is ravaging lives addiction Homelessness, incarceration—these are issues that are that are affecting our community in a massive way. Now, um, I'm prompted um, by God about that situation. Um, when I drive uh, the way that I drive into work, actually, um, I drive on a street that uh, I often see people um, that are lost in the throes of addiction. Um, and my wife and I don't even talk about it. I I've, I've even said to my wife, um, you know, how are we? We're going to stand before God one day. And yet, we drive past people every day that are in this desperate, desperate situation. Now, what I know is our church is doing some pretty awesome things in the in the battle against addiction. Our sober recovery ministry is strong. Uh, it is growing. It's thriving. You know, under under Trey Freeman's leadership, it's really, really going well. And we have some plans for the future that are going to be exciting and really reaching our community. But I, um, for people who are discouraged, struggling with addiction, for people who are in that situation, we might call down and out. Um, I'm prompted by the spirit to say, you know, God, God loves you. You matter and your life doesn't have to be lived in this way. There's a future, there's hope, there's hope for you. And then also, Josh, you know, we, we encounter a lot of people at Spring Hills that, live a life of, of abundance, you know, probably would be in a worldly way considered uh, upper middle class, you know, educated access to education, uh, something you and I've had the privilege of access to education as well. And, and for those folks, um, they are often realizing and recognizing materialism leads to emptiness. And to them, the spirit prompts me to say, uh, there's hope, hope in Christ, hope in a life far beyond what the material things of this world really offer to us. And so um, my heart is being prompted just to continue with that message. God loves you. You matter. There's purpose that he has for your life and redemption that's there as well. So that's kind of some ways that I'm being prompted, you know, by the Holy Spirit in this time.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone who has joined us today on our podcast episode. Before you go, there is one important thing that you need to know that you are loved, you are welcome, and you matter. Tom, thank you so much for being on the show today with us. Will you please pray us out? Sure. Father God, we thank you for this time for
0: this podcast. We ask God for anyone who's listening today that you would bless them, that they would take away some deeper thoughts from the messages past weekend uh, entitled The Spirit of the Living God, and that they would really come to understand, God, that you are moving and working, uh, and God, that you desire to... Uh, let them know how important they are that there's purpose that comes through Christ into their lives. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen.